Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Tonight, my very special guest is artist, author, and musician, Martin Graff. Martin's latest work, Trips for Piano, was released on July 1st and is available for purchase on Spotify, Amazon, and from the Trips for Piano website. So I want you to lose yourself tonight in the resonance of his voice and his music. Martin, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me, Michael. I am, couldn't be more delighted to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here, too. Thanks for being with me. Let's begin this journey together, this musical journey together. What is poetry? Yeah, I love that question. Um, I like deep questions. Um, I think for me, uh, I I think a lot of things can be poetry, but in general, I'd put it under the umbrella of poetry is an artfully expressed idea, right? So... The one expressing it has something important to say, and he or she says it in an especially articulate and musical way. Um, And I use the word musical because I also think um, non-spoken works of art can be poetry, especially those that unfold in real time, such as, um, let's say, a piano composition, right, Um, where even though it's a little more abstract, you know, you're organizing sound waves instead of words, um, but it can still have a narrative and push really deep um, emotional nerve centers. All right. Very nice. Very nice. So let's go back to the, to the nerve centers and the music. What is, what is music? What is music? I want a little bit more about music. Well, I would say, like, not, you know, I'm just going to circle back to kind of close the circle and say that music, I think, is a sonic form of poetry as opposed to, um, you know, oral, literally spoken. Um, but, yeah, I think um, basically music is organized sound, right, deliberately organized sound to communicate a feeling, a story, um, a message, a reaction, um, much like any um, spoken language, um, but just instead of the um, instead of the mouth being the instrument, it's well, it's a set of felted hammers, or it's um, you know wind coming through a, a shaft, or you know whatever the whatever the instrument entails. Um, but yeah, I would say I would say that's what music is. I'd say it's a, a sonic form of poetry. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. One quick question before we move into what the real purpose of the, the night is yeah. creativity. Yeah. Were you born to be creative? I would say so. I think creativity Tell for me. me is, is like oxygen. I mean, I, you know, um, for the, for the brief period of time in my life where I was away from it for a few years, um, the place I ended up inside myself was pitch black and without those beams of light coming in, um, you know, I just, I just can't continue. And when I returned to um, creativity, um, I don't want to say I was doing nothing creative, but in terms of the fine arts, like formally sitting down and saying, I'm going to compose a, a piece. Oh, man, when I finally got back to that, it was like opening curtains in like a pitch black hotel room. And it just all of a sudden, it's daytime again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Well, now we have creativity. We have trips for piano, we have mm-hmm. music, we have poetry. Talk about all of those things. How do they fit? Yeah, um, I guess the um, the best way to, to articulate that is to just give a little bit of backstory. I mean, I think, for, like, as I said, throughout my life, I've been a creative person. Um, and I guess the thing that for, first um, got a hold of me uh, was the piano. And so I spent, um, you know, most of my life, even since a very young kid, I started when I was four, um, but I didn't have lessons until I was around 12 or 13. So I spent like the first decade just um, repeating things that I heard by ear and memorizing them and, um, and also composing my own pieces. 
And eventually that did lead me to music school. Um, and I, I did a, a bachelor's in um, music composition and a, with a piano performance minor. And um, by the end of uh, that degree, I was super burned out on it because that was a time in my life where I really didn't know balance. So I would do something like go into a music lab at 11 a.m. on a Sunday and not come out until 10 a.m. on Monday. And that's just sort of an unsustainable intensity. <laughs> so I just kind of um, dissociated with it for a few years um, and found teaching, which is why I moved overseas. I ended up in China being a, a middle school and high school teacher of English over there. Um, and it was a good break. But then over time, like I said, I felt some of the light start to dim in one area of my life. And even though teaching is, can be very creative, um, it's a different kind of creativity. And so um, eventually what I found my way back to was drawing. Um, and I would just do these drawings as sort of a cathartic release. And I would almost treat them like those Tibetan sand paintings, whereas like after you're done, mm. you just erase it because the product is yeah. as important as the process. And that's where that's I was the at the time, having been so product obsessed in, during the music degree. But then I had generated this collection of drawings, and all of them ended up to be little faces with captions, by the way. Um, I'm, I ended up with hundreds and hundreds of these things. I'm like, you know, these are really interesting. They're fun. I should start saving them instead of throwing them out. And then long story short, that eventually led to um, me formalizing that, that body of illustrations, getting in to do uh, some art gallery shows. And then oh, wow. when it came when it came time um, to do the gallery shows, it was like, well, you need to have an artist statement. Like, what are these faces about? What's the shtick for the show? And that in turn led me to discover that, well, rather than just do an artist statement for the whole show, why not actually write a short vignette, like a poetic vignette that directly goes um, with each of these far out drawings? And so the next step was that eventually evolved into me turning that into a live stage show where the vignettes are memorized and whichever one I'm performing, the accompanying illustration that I did for it uh, will be projected on a large screen next to me. And then the final edition was like, you know, you're doing a show, a poetic show that unfolds in real time. Um, maybe this is an opportunity for you to get the piano back into your life. And then I started peppering those shows by including some of my piano pieces in the set. And then eventually here we are, I perform this kind of combined vision. Um, and it's also a series of books and of course uh, the CD that I just released. And so it kind of all unifies into a uh, sort of like a multi-course meal that's like where everything is specifically paired uh, to so that the flavors meld well together. Wow. <laughs> that's an incredible combination yeah it's unusual it's a bit idiosyncratic but hopefully um, kind of inevitable after you see it and see it in action although of course we have the slight disadvantage without being able to see the the art pieces uh, tonight but I don't I don't think it's going to hold us back too much because I think the um, the writing can stand on its own and the music can stand on its own but it's also fun when it all goes together in one space <clears throat> Oh, very nice, very nice. Well, let's let's take a listen. All right, I'm ready when you are. All right, all right. So this um, this first one we're going to check out. Uh, the title is Prism, Shifting Light in This Shifting Life, and I guess the purpose of this is just to kind of uh, sonically capture, you know, the <laughs> the light and passing cloud that you know is everybody's life along the way. Mm -hmm. um, you know the way you you look at a single um, you look at a single tree out in a landscape, but depending on the weather and the time of day and you know who's around the tree, it's a very different experience. But it's it's still the tree overall. All right, very nice prism. Here we go. All right.
Captured my heart right away when I was a kid. <laughs> wow, I, I love piano music, kids. There's nothing better than Rachmaninoff. So, um, love yeah, piano man. music. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power. Hmm. I. You know, I um. I, I guess this uh. This was when I was a little older, but, you know, I, I had somebody um, tell me one time that just my, um, through the natural course of conversation, a lot of what I say comes across as poetic prose. Um, mm. And I, I've noticed that because of some of the um, imagery and metaphor I tend to use in my everyday speech, um, I could tell from pretty early on that it, that it held people's attention. It was engaging. It, it touched their heart. Um, you know, and there's nothing better than um, having a message you want to get across and, and like actually seeing it land. Um, so while I can't necessarily pin, uh, pin down exactly one moment, um, you know, certainly in my communication, I, I've, I've noticed the value of it, certainly in my teaching. And in those moments where I've uh, been a reader of um, prose or poetry that just kind of stopped me in my tracks. Um, even though they're just symbols uh, printed on wood pulp, they elicit all this electricity inside my, my brain and my heart. Um, so, yeah, my, I guess my answer is kind of a general one. I hope, that's, I hope that suffices. <laughs> yes. Please share some poems. All right. Let's do it. Okay. <clears throat> well, um, this first one is called uh, Getaway. February 2004, Hong Kong. I was hiking Lantau Islands when the trail unexpectedly brought me to a beach. No other people, not a footprint. No boats on the water, nor any other man-made structures in sight. 
the Pacific like a still, breezeless lake under the overcast sky, a scene of sublime inactivity. Seeing now that this was my destination, I took off my backpack, used a rock to dig a butt-sized hollow in the sand, planted mine in there, and reclined against the pack. For an hour, I didn't move. Just my eyes panning the ocean, reading the horizon like the most important poem ever written. Well, there's only one return bus to town and not much time, so I sat up, brushed off, and continued along eons sooner than I wanted. I've gone back many times in my imagination, though. That boundless refuge where no distance is too far, our passport is always valid, and touchdown is just a thought away. During the hard times especially, our mind's eye sees us through. When the windows of the world let in the harsh light, workplace anguish, imploded love, or a fatal diagnosis, we can pull down our eyelid shades and take respite in whatever setting we conjure. For me, it's that incidental shore at Low K1. For you? We can't ignore reality either. The longer you spend inside, the more force the outside world amasses against you. Bills pile. Disappointment turns to depression, and the tumor doubles in size. You've got to take care of life before it takes care of you. In doing so, you enable the next beautiful moment to retreat to when ugliness returns. Poem. That's it. Oh, wow. How does a poem begin for you with an idea, a form, or an image? Um, That's a really important question. I'd say the most typical ways in for me are um, some kind of catalyzing illustration that I make is as I said the drawings go with these um, like for that one getaway you can sort of uh, picture kind of an androgynous face with closed eyelids but like these tendrils of flowers growing out of the eyelids um, maybe a personal story with a spiritual hook that I'd like to tell or you know a general theme that's important or interesting to me I mean it could be video games horror films, handwriting styles, cats, old age. I guess really any topic that's touched my life and from which I can glean a useful lesson, right? So do you, let's say, create the image, the idea, then work on the music, or the music comes first? It's like chicken or the egg, which comes first? Well, I think with the with the piano, it's generally... Um, I guess it's the egg comes first. I mean, I, I decide what okay. story I want. I decide what story I want to tell. Like I'll decide on a title before I even know what any of the notes are, because knowing what the quote unquote story is, um, that'll guide all those abstract decisions. Like, I, like I get to a certain point and I'm like, geez, I don't know which better, which chord is better to land on here. Right. But if I have the title and the story, I can, make that decision which with which one is more appropriate for the task and then that helps me from getting stuck with the poetry um i think earlier on it was always a drawing an interesting drawing that i made and then whatever the theme that that drawing had then i would try to write a vignette about it and i think more recently um the drawing has come afterwards because i think Recently, I've been tapping more into my autobiography, kind of deciding what interesting stories do I have to tell that would be engaging and useful for a stranger, (laughs) and then um, writing that and then making the illustration to go with it. Now, what conditions help you with the writing process? Do you need to be alone? Do you need to be around a bunch of people? How do you write? I think I can do it really anywhere, but I guess first and foremost, I need a purpose. Like I need to know who and what this is for. I tend not to do as well with random writing for its own sake, like just private journaling, for example. So if I'm going to spend time on a piece, I need to know it's something that's also potentially useful for the rest of the world. (laughs) And then I guess secondly, um, if it's available, I do benefit from a fun 
um, inspiring atmosphere. So typically I walk to downtown Sherlington here in Virginia from our house and just choose a local watering hole or restaurant and dig into the work. I definitely feed off the energy of being alone in public. So even when, um, you you know, sort of being surrounded by that aquarium of human activity, but I'm kind of also in my own bubble, I can draw off of that. And I, uh, even on vacation, um, if it's domestically or overseas, I'll always take my notebook with me and tap into whatever inspiring writer writing environment comes my way. So, um, you know, I've written in uh, all over the U.S. in uh, in China in Europe. Just you know, always ready to write something down. All right, beautiful. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Please share another poem. All right, this next one. Um, in keeping with the theme of the face zone, which makes a little more sense why it's called that when you see that the artwork is all faces. But this piece itself mm-hmm. is called Face. All right. Faces are the hardest to describe and reproduce. The basic components are simple enough, like the exposition at the start of a fugue. But just as an increasingly varied musical theme gets harder to hum amidst the unfolding counterpoint, One's facial expression is a complex, dynamic intersection of physical and metaphysical attributes elusive to capture. There are no identical twins. In novels, characters' faces are always blurriest in my mind's eye. The description's like molded plaster that won't stick to its subject. It's the same in nonfiction. Police sketches never fully resemble the perp because the profiling software can't render the narrative behind the eyes, the life that led to the likeness. For that revelation, you need to meet someone's gaze directly. And when you do, you see a vivid page from an autobiography in progress. So many sets of eyes, noses, and mouths, and the stories to go with them. Billions, collectively the same, individually distinct. Past faces, living faces, and all those yet to come. Poem. You know, all great writers, performers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? Oh, that's a fun. That's a fun question. Yeah. Um, think about that. I would say pretty eclectic in terms of where they, um, you know, what spaces they were writing in. But I would say uh, George Carlin, the comedian, you know, with his edgy linguistic roasting of society. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. Charles Bukowski, I think, through his autobiographical accounts of uh, living in bars at horse tracks and even homeless on park benches. I mean, there's like a gritty romance to his writing. I would say um, the songwriter, Tom Waits, you know, he's got this heartbreakingly lyrical imagery of characters down on their luck that are just like, there's this one song called Take It With Me that I literally can't listen to because I will weep like every time. (laughs) Um, Flannery O'Connor, I loved her dark short stories. Langston Hughes, I love his soaring self-affirmation and hope. Um, Carl Sagan, um, John Cage, the music composer who also did a lot of writing, and maybe, man, maybe Shirley Jackson. Uh, her short stories are, uh, you know, with the hooks and the twists at the end. I really like that. It's almost Edgar Allan Poe-like, but, you know, mid-20th century. Well, tell me about Carl Sagan. That, was a, that one really caught my mind. I think some of the – yeah, he just had these um, – prophetic extrapolations about where society was going based on changes in technology and the way information was handled. And, um, you know, I noticed that uh, in some of my own work, I, I had some of the same um, frustrations of, and sort of ominous warnings that I see about where humanity is headed and not without hope. Right. Because I think Carl Sagan mm-hmm. had hope as well, but, yeah, I think that's what it is about him. Just his, um, just his, uh, his soaring imagination. You know, thinking out beyond our own immediate world, and and being good at just seeing where things are headed. Yeah. All right. Well, what's next from Trips for a Piano? 
for trips for piano. Next, we can go to, um, let's go to Sativa. This one's called Sativa, a verdant portal. And um, the point of this one is I just wanted to do about a piece where, you know, um, it kind of describes um, a troubled moment that then um, releases into some other ethereal space, you know, and you can get to that space in any number of ways. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of a metaphor for, uh, I guess, for meditation in a way, like, you know, kind of starting out tense and then going somewhere um, calm and eventually glorious. Oh, somewhere calm and eventually glorious. Beautifully stated. I like that. <laughs> Are we ready? Yeah. All right, sir. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, these... Please share, Paul. All right. <laughs> this next one um, I'm going to do is called Slumberland. <clears throat> Daily, we straddle the cosmic threshold in a ritual near-death experience. Under covers, behind eyelids, we tempt fate suspend consciousness, and trust an alarm to bring us out rejuvenated. The moments leading to sleep are pure potential energy, a wheel at the crest of a hill, teetering on the cusp of this and another dimension. In the best of times, the transition is an effortless surrender to psychic gravity. At the most inopportune, 
the night before a double shift or a long drive with children. It's holistic constipation as your entire being insomniatically strains toward anesthesia, unable to let go and pass over, and you roll over and over, afraid of tomorrow, afraid of no tomorrow. Either way, tomorrow becomes today. Another chance to kill our nightmares and give life to our dreams. Poem. You know, Martin, they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look for comedians, artists, poets, and I'm going to add musicians. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? You mean like in terms of um, kind of recurrent themes? How is it you? Hmm. I think my first instinct is to answer that metaphorically. I just, I, I think it's like my, um, I think when I, when I um, perform a poem or project a piece of artwork or uh, play one of my piano pieces, it's like I'm putting my thumbprint on um, the space, right? I'm leaving, I'm, I'm leaving a mark on someone's um, existential experience for that moment and on my own. Um, I just, I think they, I think the ways in which my various pieces make an impression on people feel similar to the way that I make an impression on people when I'm hanging out with them or when I'm teaching. I think there's kind of a, there's like a sincere, um, and hopeful poignancy, I think, in a lot of my um, writing and in the music, I just think, uh, I don't know, I guess I, uh, I've always been moved by uh, dark and beautiful music, music that um, breaks your heart, you know? Okay. <laughs> it just, fill, just fills okay. all the crevices inside your heart, and I think, uh, I think that's what those piano pieces do. At least that's their, uh, their aim. Wow. Please share another poem. All right. Let's see what we're doing here. Thanks for your patience. We're skipping around a little out of uh, no, a different, no, different is, order, which is cool. This it's one is um, perfect. I'm sorry. No, this is great. This is, keeps it much more fresh. All right. Let's try it. I want to tell you this is a poem that's a story. This one's called Drowning Matt. Summers in the 80s were spent at my granddad's condo in Bradenton, Florida Right on Sarasota Bay It was a great place to retire, but dull as whiteout for a pre-internet middle schooler with no driver's license and too much spare time Which is why I was so excited to invite my friend Matt down for a week We were in homeroom, gym, and math together Lived in adjacent neighborhoods and already had a number of uneventful sleepovers, so it was an easy permission slip from his folks, though it would end up being way more dangerous than any field trip. We weren't even fully unpacked when we grabbed swimsuits and hustled over to the pool with a manic urgency only kids can produce. In the sunny, unsupervised water, our excitement shifted seamlessly into sarcasm. Insults escalated to splash fighting, Splashing to wrestling and grappling to near murder. I can't even remember what it was. An accidental elbow to my neck, the intensifying feedback loop of wills, maybe some oxygen deprivation. But I crossed over into a primordial survival space where it wasn't me anymore. Just animal rage personified as it held a dear friend underwater with gritted teeth and a pure commitment to annihilate. Matt thrashed violently below the surface until he didn't. His lack of resistance broke the hateful spell, and quicker than our horseplay had risen to violence, my determination melted down to horrified regret, like falling off a mountain. Thank the universe, my frenemy finally emerged, puffy and exhausted, but 
alive enough to join me in the most awkward silence of all time. In trying to win the moment, I almost lost our lives. I consider myself an exceedingly compassionate soul, a guy who always roots for the underdog and literally helps sure to be stepped on worms off a waterlogged sidewalk. I feel bad for the last slice of pizza. To think that I nearly ended someone makes me fear for us all. If a total softy can see such red, what of the world's leaders with worse weapons than water and more to lose than face in a splash contest? Or maybe that's all it ever is. No matter the shouting match, brawl, or all-out world war, a moment of petty masculinity exploded to savage catastrophe. Poem. One thing I'll say about your work is that it's real. You can see it. Thank you. You can, in essence, feel it. And I like that a lot. That's the kind of poetry that I like. Do you think that you were meant to be a poet? Yeah, I do. I, I really do. I, I've often, yeah, I, <laughs> I, um, oftentimes when I, um, I, you know, I'm one of these people that can just kind of go up and talk to anybody, and I'm so excited about what I do that I, I share it with, with lots of people. And, and um, you know, I, in case in the event that that comes across um, arrogantly, I always remind people, like, now, you know, now ask me to change a tire and see how quick I can do that. <laughs> Right. I'm not my uh, what I have to offer the world is not always the most pragmatic, but I think I have um, I think I, I have something spiritual to offer. And, you know, I think the human experience, if it's in balance, you know, is a combination of the, um, you know, the mundane and the uh, well, well, we'll call it the uh, spiritually elevated. Right. Um, yeah. Which is why when you think about you know, the craze in the public school system to like, you know, just teach science, math, technology, those things are important. I know you got to keep the machines running and industry going, but like, you know, if you don't have, um, if you're not, if you don't have your heart touched as part of that, then, you know, all those gears turning, you know, where do you actually end up? I think you need, uh, you know, both the um, clockmaker and also just some brilliant open time to do things that just make you soar, right? During that time that the clock displays. Wow. You speak truth. You speak truth. I like it. Share another poem, please. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> okay. All right. Um, this one's a little lighter, it's kind of about redefining family, and it's called Fatherhood. <clears throat> Slash is not a pet and not just a cat. He's a person and he's my son. As with many parents, we adopted because we wanted a family we couldn't make from scratch and someone out there needed one. That first night was a marathon of tense uncertainty. Lots of pacing, crying, and questioning if it was a good fit. A year later, we're all resting easy. He recognizes that while we don't look like him, we are his tribe, though his dad also wears black all the time. Through us, he's learned that the world is loving, life is beautiful, and people are cats, too. Like any adolescent boy, he plays ball, fights with his tortoiseshell sister, and has assigned chores, which in his case is to patrol all corners and crevices for any trespassing flies or spider crickets unaware of the new sheriff in town. We keep count of his apprehensions on a chalkboard in the kitchen. He's up to 12 this week. Now, Flash isn't going to university or continuing anyone's family name, but nurturing that sleekishly effervescent life force to its full cuckoo bananas potential is legacy enough for us. And who knows? In a karmic future life, maybe he shepherds us to safety, takes care of the litter boxes, and celebrates our fleeting 
but brilliant starlight. Poem. You know, Martin, this is also a call-in show. Oh, and great. we have a caller. Oh, we have a caller. Let's bring this person on. Area code two four zero. The first three numbers are two six one. You're on the air with Martin. Good evening. Hello. Hello, hello. Maybe they're yes. Maybe they're just here to listen. And okay. That's wonderful that's, too. All, all right. right. Hey man, if you, if you change your mind, you know where to find us. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. Please share another poem. Great, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Mm. This one is called Unlocked. Keys have always captured my imagination because they open worlds. A world of wonder as the lid of a treasure chest releases with a baritone creak. A secret world finally accessed by the inheritor of an eccentric relative safe deposit box. A world of memories when I come across the key to a house and marriage long since demolished. A freer world, the moment iron bars slide sideways to discharge an inmate. Most of the time, they admit us into routine living, turning deadbolts of front doors, starting cars, and protecting valuables and gym lockers. People are lockboxes, too, denying or permitting entry, depending on the solicitation. Waiting for that uniquely inspiring teacher to move our potential. For that singular love to unwind our individual complication. For that particular chemical to trigger addiction. For that one insult to unleash our fury, then our fists, then our firearms. And at long last, for that unifying cause, compelling us to let loose our collective best impulses before karma changes the locks and humanity is shut out altogether. Poem. I view you as being a man of the world. Mm. And based on your travels and your experiences, it sounds like you're a man of the world. What do you see as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? You've seen a lot. What's the role? What's, what's our role? Yeah, I, I think we're kind of like, um, you know, these very sensitive and thoughtful satellite dishes that kind of receive the world and distill it into a polished, a polished m- message that's going to that's going to reach somebody and make a difference in their own life. Um, I have a, um, a very short anecdote about that, something that blew me away. This was years ago, maybe in like 2015, 2016. But I was at this event, um, and I was selling copies of my Facestone books. You know, the, the books have like the, you know, for each piece, there's the illustration on the left page, and then the short vignette is on the right page. And so this, um, this guy showed up on a bike, and he was like, oh, what's this? And, um, you know, I, he thumbed through it, and he's like, yeah, I'll take one. And so he leaves, and then about two hours later, while the event was still going, he comes back with a totally different look on his face. And he's like, uh, you, know, you know, I didn't, like, tell you this before, but, you know, I've um, been going through, like, uh, a lot of hard stuff lately, and just reading some of these poems just brought me a feeling I haven't had in a while, so I just had to come back here and buy your other book. And I was just mm. like, you know, I just, buddy, you just summarized at least half of why I do this, right? The first half of the circle is me making the gesture and maybe meditating on the topic myself to learn something about it, but then closing the circle when I hand it off to somebody else. And then their reaction comes back to me, and then we start again with a new circle. Oh, wow. Very nice. You start again with a new circle. It's beautiful, yeah. beautifully stated, beautifully stated. What is next from Trips from Piano? Well, maybe um, what piano. we should do in, in this case is, because the, um, mm-hmm. 
I have a poem that I included tonight that's actually about the piano since we're doing this. So maybe, yeah. maybe I should um, read that one and then we can play the, uh, you know, kind of the, the big showstopper. Is, is that a good oh, plan? Fantastic. All right. Be, yes. Okay. All right. Let me get to that one. Uh, all right. This poem is called Marty's Song. Playing the piano is a long-term relationship, a commitment to excellence, the ultimate focus for a restless life. It's going all in with your whole mind, core, four limbs, and ten fingers, first exploding into a cheetah sprint, then sticking a butterfly landing on a wisp of grass. It's a transcendental marriage of soul and mechanics, that conjures rainbows from strokes of black and white and raises glorious mountain ranges out of the ordinary floor beneath. Making this music is the opposite of death, like the centrifugal force around the sharpest bend of the greatest roller coaster. A reharmonizing of my most tumultuous internal cacophonies and maybe yours. So listen up as I bang on this gong from the gods, as I sound the call of my life force from the most resonant place I can find, as I sing Marty's song, poem. And then I guess that could take us into, um, this piece is called Sonare, a dramatic crescendo of enveloping sonority. And the word scenario just means to play or to sound. And the purpose of this particular piece, it's a piece that's almost like about the piano. It's really just about using the full range, making it growl, making it chime, um, and just, uh, you know, uh, just enjoying the instrument uh, itself. All right. I'm ready if you are. You ready? Oh, I, I'm ready. Strap in. Here we go. <laughs> All right. All right. Scenario.
Peace. Exquisitely done. Thanks, man. Yeah, that burned a few calories uh, learning how to play that one. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, that's, I always I always paint myself into those kind of corners. I'm like, you know, this is going to be really hard. But then I'm like, you know, but that's the way to tell the story. So you're just going to have to wake up early and learn it, buddy. <laughs> well, what did you learn about yourself creating such a masterpiece as Trips for Piano? What did you learn about yourself? That's a great question. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but I guess um, I guess some of the things I learned were mundane and some of them a little more um, sexy, for lack of a better term. I guess in the more okay, in the mundane, no just in the mundane, um, uh, you know, just that I can do it, right? I mean, the, you know, there's an Everest to climb with a piece like that, but it's just you just take it step by step, day by day, once in a while you have to stop and set up camp and try it again the next day. But really, if you follow the process and you follow the vision um, and you keep your heart pointed in that direction, um, in the end, you, you know, you end up with a, um, a tangible work project that's just got this magical power to like touch you and to touch other people. So yeah, that it, that it can be done, no matter how daunting it seems at first. And I guess, I guess the other thing that I learned or more confirmed is that I just I cannot live uh, without making music in my life. And this is certainly something that um, I will be doing well into my, uh, let's just say, my more withering years down the line. <laughs> All right. Well, what about in the same vein, what have you learned about yourself being a poet? I think what I've, I don't know that there's one thing that I've learned, but I think since mm-hmm. the type of writing that I do, they're sort of distillations. They're little meditations on a variety of topics. I mean, if you take a look at the themes of my work, I mean, it's like everything about the stigma of liking Scrapple <laughs> to the meaning of life, right? So just anything oh, yes. that's part of my schema, I like to turn it over and over in my mind and kind of just polish this diamond of understanding on it. And I find sometimes that when I'm in an especially difficult situation, um, I'll think back to some of my own advice that I came to through meditating through a poem on that topic. And I try to use my, I try to take my own advice and I think the poems themselves give me some of advice to take. Well, we've reached the end of the program, but I hope you'll share one more poem for the road. Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, this is a good closer. Um, Let me just get to the right page. Okay. This one is called The Ballet. Our lives are a choreography through the abrasion of time. We maneuver about the stage of existence, each experience adding to our spiritual core while simultaneously eroding its container. Just as a pencil shortens with every expressive stroke, a ballerina grinds herself down a little more to stick the next inspiring landing. A marathoner crosses the finish line with a smaller body and a bigger soul. The same goes for rock climbing, mosh pits, work, love, any act at all. The most significant choice we make each day is how to use ourselves up on what to spend our fleeting life force. Fully living means dancing toward death with purpose, passion, and style to stick that ultimate landing. Poem. That is a perfect way to end. (laughs) I'd like to thank you for being my guest tonight, for sharing your gifts, your dual gifts of music as well as poetry with the world. Thank you so much, Martin. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'd like to invite you to come back. I'd like to invite Uh, you to come back for part two. Um, There's so much more that I want to ask you. 
so much more music that needs to be played. So I'd like you to come back for part two in the fall. I would. I'm there, man. You just, you just, you just tell me the date, and and we'll we'll do it, man. <laughs> that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. I'm glad. All right, then. Any final words for the audience? Any final words for your listeners, for your readers? Anything you want them to know? Uh, I would just say, um, just to respect everybody's time, if you if you like what I do and you want to find out more about it or how to get the books or how to get the CD, there's two sites you can visit. Uh, for the art and the poetry and the spoken word, you can go to thefacezone.com. And for the music stuff, you can go to tripsforpiano.com. And you can just uh, see where it takes you. All right. Well, thank you again. I'd like to thank our listening audience. And as I share every week, let poetry ring. Good night, everybody. Good night. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.